You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Rochelle. Yes, that's a new voice you can hear on the other end, not Carissa. We've, as I like to say, locked her away in a cupboard somewhere. (laughs) Keep her quiet. (laughs) So I'm joined by Rochelle today, who is new with us at the JCN Clinic. And she is a wealth of knowledge, a nutritionist and a naturopath. So welcome, Rochelle, to the podcast. Thank you, Jess. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, so exciting. So exciting. (laughs) Do you want to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Because I'm sure that there'll be people listening who have seen you with us at the clinic over the months and also have known you prior. Um, But for those who are like, who is this lovely lady? Do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself before we dive in? Sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, I'm Rochelle. Um, As Jess said, I am a nutritionist and just graduated naturopath. So I finished late last year, actually. Um, So I've been practicing nutrition for nearly nine years now. Um, And all throughout my career, I've sort of worked in clinical practice. I've also worked with natural medicine companies working in their clinical support team as well. So just really diving into really complex cases. Um, I've always had an absolute passion and love for chronic digestive conditions because my own personal experience sort of took me on my own journey um, throughout my own sort of health journey and life to sort of where I am today. So yeah, so that's sort of a little bit about me and what I love to treat. I suppose the whole holistic approach in nutrition as well as naturopathy is really like where I'm grounded in my own clinical practice, just because I've seen so much success in my own health journey with really taking that more holistic approach for health. So that's the whole reason I'm here, I suppose. (laughs) Love it. And even as you explain that background, it just to me, as always, cements what the perfect fit that you are. That was bad English, but essentially (laughs) (laughs) that lovely fit that you have with us at JCN. Um, We just have always, I think, even before being part of us at the at the clinic, like you've always been on that same page. Um, Mm. And I think you and I in particular, as far as our, let's say, borderline obsession <laughs> with chronic gut health. You <laughs> can say obsession. Borderline. There's no borderline. <laughs> I think that we have deeply in common. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, yeah, I think having experienced that as well, it just makes you really appreciate and understand the journey that clients would go on and, you know, you can really meet them where they're at. And that's the most beautiful thing about it is actually just understanding how, it all does work together and it's not just diet and it's not just nervous system and it's not just, you know, mm. what we're doing from a lifestyle perspective. It's like a whole, whole body, whole, you know, life and how we can influence that. So, yeah, it is. Exactly. Good. Yeah. So today what we're actually going to do is essentially cover some popular questions that, 
you have been asking as an audience. Um, we've been promising to do this for a while. We've done a few episodes over the past year and they're always really popular. So the questions we have are a real mixed bag, which is kind of part of the fun. So <laughs> we're going to go through those questions and then give you our in-depth feedback. And hopefully, as always with these questions, because we do find they are quite common and quite popular, some of you or a lot of you will be able to pull something from that for yourself. So let's dive on in. Um, let's do it. I think I might die. I might skip our one at the top <laughs> then come back to that later. Sure. But we might go into some of these more digestive questions first. So one of our questions that we had from a listener was, as soon as I eat broccoli, I get the worst gas. Why would this be? So, Ro, do you want to take that one to start with? This is so common. It's such a common thing that we experience in clinic and it's a conversation I think I have with most of my clients on their own digestive health journey. Um, so broccoli as well as uh, vegetables like kale, cauliflower, cabbage, they're all a part of the cruciferous vegetable category. Um, and I suppose when we are talking about digestive complaints and when we're talking about bloating and gas and all of those symptoms, these are the vegetables that come up like quite frequently in terms of causing quite common complaints in particular, um, bloating and gas. So they have got a particular carbohydrate called raffinose in it. And so essentially what that is, is it's a part of a carbohydrate that is not broken down. So it goes through undigested into the small intestine. And then our large intestine uses the bacteria in our large intestine to actually break that down or ferment it and in that fermentation process it actually can cause gas so your gas symptoms um so it also is really high fiber as well so i suppose if you have got symptoms if you're not having a lot of fiber in your diet for example and you are having like quite a high amount of broccoli or a high amount of kale it can actually cause digestive symptoms because of that high fiber content as well um so it really is a matter of meeting your gut where it's at sometimes and we might need to from a clinical perspective just do a little bit of work on your beneficial bacteria in your gut to help to support those guys so that they are able to you know break down and ferment those compounds more readily so that you are getting less of those sort of gas and bloating symptoms mm -hmm. yeah perfect love it and I think what's also important in what you highlighted there is really nicely the breakdown and, and, and how these compounds move through our digestive system and that this is, a, this is essentially a natural process. Like we have mm. many, many foods that will naturally produce more gas and more fermentation and a lot of these will classify or call, you'll hear us use the word prebiotic. Um, not that we usually think of these foods as classically as prebiotics, but in, in, in a, you know, in a way they, they definitely are providing fuel for bacteria. It's just that we have other foods we tend to talk about more readily in that class. But what, what I want listeners to understand is that 
having a little bit of gas and a little bit of fermentation from foods that um, are a little harder to break down as um, far as their compounds and a bit more fibrous, there's an element within that is really, that's very good for a healthy gut. That's providing uh, Mm. an ample amount and variety of different types of compounds and fuel for bacteria. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is that I think particularly if people have gut issues, anything that they eat that causes the tiniest bit of gas um, or even the tiniest bit of bloating can create distress and a stressful approach where it can be like, okay, this isn't working for me. It isn't sitting right. I shouldn't eat it. But it's natural to a point for us to have a little bit of gas. Like everyone's going to fart a few times a day or more. Um, for sure. You know, you don't, you you need to delineate between your concept um, or, or realistically what is your normal as far as a little bit of gas production from some of these foods versus an mm. extreme amount of gas and bloating. And I'll often say to clients with these foods, um, you know, tell, tell me more obviously about the bloating or the gas itself. Like, are we talking you had you had a lot of brassica or cruciferous vegetables last night and today you're just a little bit more windy versus like just that constant bubbling buildup of gas. It's just will not go away. It's super odorous um, and you're feeling really distended. You might be within the gut with bloating. You might even be feeling off. Like that's the other end of the scale and that's where we're going to be red flagging and looking deeper into what's actually going on in your gut because these foods aren't bad foods. They're beautiful foods. They're really particularly something like broccoli um, and that Mm. family has some really important compounds um, for your gut but also for your liver and detoxification. So we want to make sure that we're identifying the underlying causes. But I just, I definitely wanted to highlight, and it's hard without obviously being able to talk to this person, you know, where, where is, where are they on that um, kind of sliding scale? Um, And I know you probably have seen this over the years too, Ro, with clients where you've worked on their gut and if they've had a chronic gut history, they Mm -hmm. will have a lot of fear that Mm. will um, have built up around food. And and if you've worked with them to a point and they're feeling so much better and then you're going through a reintroduction and expansion of their diet, if they start to experience even like a, yeah, a little bit of something, it can, it actually really um, create a lot of stress um, as far as like, oh my God, oh my God, (laughs) it's happening again. It's all coming back. And it's like, no, no, it's it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and that's so true. It's it's understanding what's normal for you, and then what is actually like not normal in the pattern of your eating. Um, and yeah, the reintroduction can be a really really tricky phase because we want to go low and slow, but there is going to be some times where you are going to be exhibiting symptoms, and this is definitely one of those food groups that we see it um, just that little bit more than others. Yeah. So what would we do? So say with this person, if um, we, we know they're on the other end of that scale. Like they're actually having really painful gas, um, Mm. distension, like they're really getting a lot of digestive distress. Mm. What, what's going on there? Like what would be some of the sort of main, um, underlying causes that we would start to dig for to, to give this person a bit of an insight? 
Yeah. So, I mean, definitely the case history, as you were saying, can be really beneficial. I love to do a diet diary in this sort of situation because it gives us such a beautiful way of understanding like what foods may be causing this upset or if there's potentially something like a SIBO picture happening, Mm -hmm. for example, with bloating and with, you know, especially that bloating after meals, that gas as well. Um, There could be dysbiosis in the gut as well. So we could have, you know, imbalance of beneficial bacteria. There might be some not so beneficial bacteria that are rearing themselves just that little bit higher. And so um, functional testing can be really beautiful in this space as well to have an understanding of, you know, what where we are currently at in terms of our bacteria and our gut and which bacteria are there as Mm. well because this is the most important thing when we're looking at the diet and we're understanding symptom picture and what might be causing some of these symptoms is what are they producing are they more methane dominant and if they are that means that you know we're we're understanding perhaps why the picture is the way that it is um and yet dietary recall can do that functional testing can do that but doing a really beautiful deep dive into their history and then also you know having a look at their current diet and lifestyle factors as well um can really just ensure that we're sort of heading in the right direction I suppose and what might be mm. the actual cause of the symptoms yeah perfect love it and I think the uh, the only other thing I thought of as you were talking about those tests and us understanding what's going on is that broccoli as Rochelle was saying, is part of that cruciferous family. And with testing, we can uncover what bacteria may be out of balance in your gut. And we we have a little bit of suspicion if we're seeing a lot of reactivity to this family in regard to bacteria that thrive off sulfur, which is um, a compound really high in this um, cruciferous family. So we we really in a lot of cases prefer to test and know mm. because if we are dealing with a sulfur bacteria overgrowth and these types of bacteria even though they're commensals they do live within your gut once they get into large numbers they're very inflammatory they produce a lot of LPS and put a lot of stress on the gut and the, the body systemically with inflammation so how we treat that not only as far as what we do through the whole trim process, but how we use the diet and how we might need to look at those cruciferous vegetables and other sulfur containing foods and how we might need to use um, a little dietary manipulation initially with that can be really important as far as the process. But that sort of comes full circle back to like, you know, that's really important for us as far as treatment and getting you better. But our ultimate goal is, to have you be able to eat these types of vegetables again. So, you know, the broccoli inclusive of anything else in that family. Um, And I'm sure if we were able to talk to this person, there'd be other foods outside of broccoli, but I bet your bottom dollar, there would be quite a few that would be in that cruciferous family. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely do see that clinically, don't we? It's one and then the other and then the other and the other. And you're like, "Uh okay. (laughs) We can see a pattern here. We can see a pattern. (laughs) And yeah, you're so right, aren't you? Like the goal is to have you being able to eat this really diverse variety of foods because, you know, each individual food does have all of those specific nutrients, prebiotics to actually support your gut 
And, you know, that is the main goal to get you eating them again. But maybe initially we might need to just lower how much you're consuming and then, yeah, be really calculated from a nutritional perspective and, you know, prebiotic perspective as well, just to help to support you along the way. So, yeah, love it. Well, I think that answers that question um, in a lot of detail. So we'll move on to the next. So another listener asked, what could be the root cause of migraines? Oh, oh this is a big one. Where to start? <laughs> this is a big one. It is a big Would one. Would you like to take the reins again? Yeah, sure. And look, I'm a migraine sufferer. So uh, first and foremost, I know precisely what you're going through. So I apologize. It's not a very nice process. Um, But there is so, so much that could potentially be a key driver for migraines. Um, I mean, nutritionally, we definitely do see from a dietary perspective that there are some foods that can trigger migraines. Um, I know for um, some of my clients, it's very unfortunate, but sometimes it can be chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) which is very sad. Um, But yeah, so different types of triggers. I mean, alcohol, cheese, chocolate, um, coffee sometimes as well. So um, it can definitely be um, like a diet um, key driver, unfortunately. And there's a couple of reasons behind that. So one of them is the histamine content in foods. So I've certainly seen this clinically quite a lot, Jess, and I'm sure you Mm -hmm. have as well, um, that there's that that immune response. And so due to that histamine sort of activation, um, there's that inflammatory process within the brain and then that can sort of trigger that that migraine response. So um, food is probably the first thing that I sort of look at clinically to see if there's something, a pattern. Um, But... There's so much more than that, isn't there? So chronic stress, I suppose, is another one. And I mean, obviously, we say this about stress, don't we? I mean, everything is linked to stress. Um, But I definitely see, you know, there is that link between that high stress level and, you know, more um, more like migraine bounces, bounce as well. Um, so having a look at your stress, having a look at your HPA activation and just trying to, you know, downregulate your nervous system as much as mm-hmm. you can, can be supportive as well. Um, there's so many more. How many do you yeah. want me to say? <laughs> I know, right? Like this is, and this is a thing with something like migraines because it, it mm, often so can be multifactorial um in it's not always just one factor Mm. like there's there's obviously more factors that can contribute but even just what the ones you pointed out there more often than not it will be a collection of those um but the other the other big area that we treat a lot to surprise surprise is is the gut Gut, um and a lot of chronic inflammation in the gut but also Mm. the flow through of that more so systemically and the the inflammatory load it puts on the body as far as that yep. gut-brain connection and even just the um, increased load on detoxification um, mm. can be a big factor. So mm. often, again, we will see as we work on clients' gut health that we'll see a lot of down-regulation of migraines and headaches. Um, sure. But again, there's there can be more going on in the other element, often particularly with women with migraines, 
is hormones um and yeah right so you'll see women experience migraines classically around ovulation or more so in their luteal phase or obviously around just um with the the start of their period um this is really classic and often that can be tied up we've had some past podcasts you can go and listen to about this um the histamine picture as rochelle mentioned can often be tied up with this too so I know I can think of some clients off the top of my head and um, there's even a client I'm working with currently whose partner's heavily invested um, in doing some research in this space um, Mm. where looking at females as migraine sufferers and seeing a really strong correlation between food intolerances, um, Mm. gut, gut issues, so food they're reacting to, underlying gut issues um and then absolutely estrogen usually some form of like higher estrogen and then also classically really poor detoxification of hormones throughout the system um or through detoxification and then fourthly usually there's some form of histamine reactivity going on so it's it's pretty fascinating how all of these factors come together and then the nuances is for each person understanding like where the the main pressure point is like is this a person where if we just get their gut right like everything cascades from there or is this a person where we've got to look at the gut but we also need to be doing some work on those hormones and we need a sort of lower histamine diet like that's where working with the practitioners so vital but I just and oh my god you would know this yourself (laughs) like experiencing migraines they're never it's usually not that simplistic as just one thing it's always multifactorial and as you also said put stress on top of that which Mm. can sometimes or often be a kind of catch-22 situation because you feel so ratchet all the time. You become yep. stressed about your health. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like this vicious <laughs> cycle. I know. It is for sure. And and I think, you know, especially with, like we always say, working on the gut can just really help and be supportive in terms of, you know, helping to dampen down that inflammation. And then working on the gut then in turn helps to support that hormone detoxification. And then, Mm. you know, like it all just so beautifully works together. But yeah, actually doing the functional testing, getting an understanding of where we're at and what we need to really focus our attention on first can be really helpful in this space. And then in the interim, you know, having a look at any nutritional deficiencies. So things like, um, I actually love to do the Omega test for some of my clients as well, just to see um, from an anti-inflammatory perspective, like, can we start, you know, providing some beautiful, you know, um, essential fatty acids into the diet and, you know, helping to support in that way, vitamin D as well. Um, And, you know, just really starting to have a look and see where those nutritional deficiencies are so we can help to support in the meantime as well. So, yeah. And I think, isn't it? And as always, (laughs) though, as you would have done so yourself, like it's, we always talk about, well, I think I use this analogy probably the most as far as like the funnel approach. It's like, you know, what are the sort of top tier Mm. parts of that sort of funnel that make sense first to start with before Mm. kind of moving down and like definitely it can often be a combination of factors, but don't discount like always starting at the top like we're, we're talking about 
hormone detoxification and we're talking about histamine issues, often, often they can be involved. However, if you foundationally don't have a really good diet and Mm -hmm. you have obvious reactivity to foods and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to enjoy them anyway, or (laughs) maybe you're just not drinking enough water, like classically Mm. you're someone who just hates water and you only have one or two glasses a day which might sound weird to a lot of listeners but believe us we see this a lot like don't don't underestimate those factors first um Mm. or even you know I've never been a migraine sufferer um but one of my triggers for more so a really bad headache I would say and it took me um years to understand what was going on was actually just the bright balance between electrolyte intake with Mm. my training um, particularly if I was running and it was outdoors and thinking that I was getting enough and like Mm. obviously hydrating and then even having a little bit of electrolytes but just for me it was about finding that right balance Um, and if I didn't hit that balance and still to today if I don't get that balance you can bet your bottom dollar Mm. I'm my, yeah, again, I've never had a migraine, but the, the worst I can think of is like that cracking, horrible headache that starts mm. to make you feel sick. So yeah. I don't know whether yeah. that's, I don't think it's a migraine. <laughs> I feel like I'd know if it was a migraine. <laughs> well, and this is the thing, isn't it? Because migraines do present quite differently yeah. as well. Yeah. So it can be challenging sometimes to even yeah. know if it's a migraine or just a cracking headache. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely, for sure. And in Brisbane, the last, I mean, couple of months now but you know it has been so humid and we are sweating <laughs> it is disgusting still and we are in March <laughs> why I'm um, sorry I have been having this conversation a lot with clients mm. in terms of making sure that you know we are balancing the electrolytes with the water that we're consuming especially when we're exercising um, yeah. and the other thing too is making sure and I'm probably a really terrible example of this right now I'm not sitting in an ergonomic space um, but yeah just making sure that you know we are sitting because a lot of people are working from home now too so making sure that you know you are set up in a proper space you're making sure that you know you're not putting too much strain on your neck and too much you know pressure through your shoulders and so just making sure that that's all in balance as well because that's another thing that I find with my migraines is that if I am stressed I'm holding my tension up here Mm. if I I'm really tight through my neck and shoulders and I'm sitting down all day, like that can really start to um, present, you know, into that really bad headache, but then also that then can go into my migraine as well. So I've got to be really cautious and, you know, therapies can be really helpful for that. I see a chiro, I see a massage therapist as well, just when I know that I'm starting, mm, to, that's so true. starting to feel that pain. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that? I know you didn't mention it in the intro, but hmm. um, obviously you will also, just another thing, um, work as a Pilates instructor. Like, do, yes. you, do you see that with your clients with Pilates? Like, have you seen people come in where just working with Pilates and posture has had an impact on headaches? Sure. I bet you you have. For sure. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, like a lot of people do hold their stress and their tension in their shoulders and in their neck. Mm. And I certainly do. Like I'm I'm one of the worst people for it. Um, But I, because of Pilates and I absolutely find this, if I do a Pilates session in the morning and I've got to, you know, sit down um, for a lot of the day, um, I actually will really set my shoulders down and back and I really Mm. feel myself and my chest open and I'm just a lot more relaxed because I'm more mindful of it. And then if we're standing and then 
for example, when we're standing up, you know, we're built, you know, more of that core strength, which is supporting our low back, which then in turn is helping to support our posture. So then we are sitting up taller and we are standing taller and we're actually using the correct muscles to be able to, you know, move mm. around, you know, and move more, more, more easily, but also, you know, using the correct muscles, which in turn is helping to support, you know, all aspects of our health. So that's why I love Pilates so much. It's amazing. But yes, for mm. sure. that Because if we're holding tension here by setting everything down and actually, you know, trying to relax a bit. Yeah, can we do it? I'm like sitting here going. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it feels good. This is why I love doing Pilates in the morning because I'm just really mindful of it. And my yeah. clients are the same. Like, honestly, they walk in and they're, t- they're taller when they walk out. Like yeah, I've, wa- I've watched them better. walk in and then when they walk out, they're, they're standing taller. It's, yeah, it is. It's an incredible form of movement. I could yeah. talk about that for hours. <laughs> Another podcast. Another podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I hope that helps for the this listener that's asked that question. We understand it's very, again, a multifactorial mm. question, but hopefully um, it just helps start to understand the complexities of something like migraines mm. and how we need to consider a more well-rounded approach. Um, and if it's something that you suffer with and you have been suffering with for some time and uh, haven't been getting anywhere and you haven't investigated it with a clinical nutritionist or, or naturopath, like definitely reach out because there's so much that can be done. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Just interrupting the show for a moment, guys, to tell you about our revamped Real Food Reset Plan. This is one of our most popular plans that you can purchase on our online shop on the website. It's been designed by clinical nutritionists and it provides a two-week rotational seven-day plan that we encourage you to follow for a minimum of four weeks. All of the recipes are delicious. They are macronutrient balanced And essentially, this is about helping you navigate the overwhelming task of getting started with eating whole foods. There's loads of veggies, fiber, whole grains, proteins, omega-3s, all of those big areas that we talk to you about a lot on the podcast and within JCN. So it's really about getting those beautiful nourishing foods into you, supporting your natural detoxification, getting your energy up, supporting digestion and even that brain and mental clarity so if you'd like to try the real food reset we recommend jumping onto the website it's only $39.95 which we think is pretty crazy but we love the idea of this as a kickstarter or a taste of what we do at JCN or maybe you're a client who's just like yeah I'd love some more recipes or I'd like to play around with a little bit more structure for a while with a plan, this is for you. So again, head to jessicacox.com.au to our online shop and get your copy of the Real Food Reset Plan today. Now, our next question is a little different and one that we actually do get a lot and I've had so much over the years is how can I become a nutritionist? I feel like we should have probably by this point done a whole podcast on this, but let's try and <laughs> get it to a Q&A. Sorry, you go, Jess. 
Oh, I was just going to say, um, I feel, I, I feel like I, was, I would start this one with clarifying and wanting to know from um, this person what they mean by a nutritionist and what their goals are. Because I think first and foremost, the word nutritionist now has become so diverse in its meaning Mm. like because you can unfortunately you can still go and do a very short course and label yourself a nutritionist versus having like a proper bachelor degree and credentials to be a nutritionist and then you can also do a more dietetics approach um, nutrition study where you'll do your nutrition um studies first and then you can choose to go on and, and do the rest and and do your I think it's a master's in dietetics but mm-hmm. some some students will actually just do the nutrition component through the universities and then practice as nutritionists and then obviously yeah again some will choose to go on to be dietetics and that that type of hat that type of nutritionist and I'm, we're, I'm stereotyping a bit here it is definitely very different to um how the approach of how all of us at JCN have studied our bachelor degrees as clinical nutritionists, which is more, and I know I'm going to piss people off. I pissed people off last week with a post on this, but only because I come at this with like love and respect to everyone in the space of nutrition Mm. and dietetics, but there is a difference between the two. And I am again, stereotyping, but generally speaking, if you have a bachelor degree as a nutritionist through somewhere like Classically Endeavour in Australia, you will have a more holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be a very, very focused on the um, the underlyings of the gut and the microbiome and, and the complexities of uh, how the body works as a system beyond just uh, food as calories and vitamins and minerals. Now, I have to put caveats around that because there are definitely dietitians and nutritionists that have gone through university sort of classic style of training with, again, more that sort of dietetics approach. And they're amazing at what they do and they have a holistic approach and they actually do practice in a similar way. But as I said to someone last week with, and you can go and have a look at the post if you like that I put up, On my socials, um, we have seen over the years in the clinic, multiple clients come to us who have been to see a dietitian about chronic gut health issues and haven't been able to get the help that they are after um, and have in turn come to us seeking that more in-depth sort of holistic approach, the, the use of functional testing and so forth. And that's because that's where we are heavily trained in that, where our whole training has been around this space. And for a dietitian usually, or someone who, again, does that initial part as a nutritionist, they don't have that same type of focus and training as we do. It's different. Um, if someone in that space wants to become more well-versed, they have to take on more of their own time and study. And, and I do mentoring on the side and um, I've had dietitians come to me putting a lot of time and energy into learning about how we practice and learning about functional testing and learning about the gut. And again, I can say hand on heart that what we know, um, and I would say what I knew coming out of my degree versus even what I know now to what 
they know as dietitians in regard to gut health is chalk and cheese. Like I'm mm. doing a lot of what I consider base education of the foundations of gut health, of the foundations of hormones and the cycle, um, female cycle. Like it's just, it's just very different. So I think I just wanted to highlight first when you're looking at becoming a nutritionist, you need to, you want to ask yourself first, like, what do I want? And sometimes that can be hard to know straight away, but (laughs) yourself, like, are you, I want to be a nutritionist because I want to help people with their food and feel really healthy with what they eat. But I'm also really interested in um, the concept of gut health or how you can eat to help your hormones. Like, you know, that's sort of getting a, you know, little bit more holistic versus Mm. I'd love to work in, um, uh, say, in a clinic or in maybe uh, a hospital and um, help people with management of their diabetes or helping with cardiovascular disease and helping people understand how to eat to manage um, their high cholesterol. Like, again, I keep stereotyping, but, you know, that that's kind of classic where dietetics and nutrition can, mm. can end up. So I think first and foremost, you want to kind of have a think about that before you step further but yeah completely that's, that's agree. my initial rant Ro. <laughs> I was like, Jess is very passionate about this very passionate <laughs> and I, I mean and I've learned so much from you as well um even before I wasn't um I wasn't working for JCN so yeah you are a wealth of knowledge in this space and I think yeah you're precisely right you need to know where you want to kind of have a good idea. I mean, it definitely evolves. Trust me. (laughs) I've changed what I've wanted to do 50 million times throughout my 12 years of study. Um, So it will change, but you need to have an understanding and an idea of where you want to end up. So what do you want to be doing? Do you want to have your own business? Do you want to end up in clinical practice? Do you want to be more holistic in your approach if that is the case and and you really want to look at the person as a whole and you really want to deep dive into functional testing and the gut and hormones and all of those fun and exciting things um then looking at a bachelor degree from more more colleges so things like endeavor in australia and torrent university now do a bachelor in naturopathy and nutrition um and getting that more like clinical knowledge um and looking at that more holistic approach then you're definitely wanting to probably move down that path and as just um and as just suggested you know there is um you know your standard universities where you do probably look at more and stereo, <laughs> you know, Jess has already prefaced this, so I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to say it again. Um, but you will be looking at, yeah, you're right, more chronic disease states. Um, looking at individual nutrients and and you know more isolated rather than looking at the body as a whole. And I think that really has made a substantial difference in my key learning in this space is my own experience when I was having chronic gut issues, you know, it was very calculated on looking just at my dietary intake and then also just, you know, only just very Mm. boxed in and its approach in terms of, you know, oh, well, you're eating these foods, so remove those foods and then you'll be better. And it's like, well, I actually don't get any better and I'm eating the same thing day in, day out. And that's when seeing a more holistic practitioner actually changed the way I looked at things because it was like you're looking at your nervous system, you're looking at, you know, 
hormonal profile you're looking at the body as a whole and understanding how it is all working together um Mm -hmm. so yeah so definitely there are you know definitely differences between the different degrees so looking at what you're actually wanting to achieve and then choosing something that's going to get you there um can be really important exactly and also Mm -hmm. depending on what you think you want to do like we would always push you towards doing something that does have that qualification like realistically you want a bachelor degree because that's what's going to give you also the coverage with your insurance companies and also to be part of association so once you finish uh, a bachelor degree whether it is um, say a bachelor through Endeavour or Torrens University that we've mentioned versus doing say a dietetics degree um there will be associations within Australia that you will need to join to be considered a reputable therapist. And that is what, like anyone listening, considering seeing nutritionist dietetics wants to make sure that the therapist that they're seeing has um, or is part of an association. And also, mm. again, once you're part of an association, depending on different private health insurers, of course, there will be coverage um, for nutrition for some of your clients as well. So realistically, like, again, you know, you maybe you just are interested in nutrition for just yourself and some basic learning. So I know some of the, um, I know Endeavor, we sound like we're like doing Endeavor ads, we're not, but I know Endeavor has been offering <laughs> some short courses of late, which is more for like people oh, wanting yeah. to dip their toe in the water. Like mm-hmm. that's still great. But if, yeah, if you're like, no, I want to be a nutritionist, I want to practice don't fuss around with like short little courses because you need the qualifications. And that's, unfortunately, that's what I feel is given nutrition at this point, Mm. a bit of a bad name still. I mean, it's gotten so much better, but Mm. there still is this mentality that um, anyone can be a nutritionist. Like you can just pull your qualifications out of a cereal box and, you know, it's not, it's not that simple. Yeah. Right. But you need need to consider the qualifications. Um, Mm. And we're very transparent about that, JCN. We're really proud of the fact everyone's got a bachelor degree, if not more than one. (laughs) And also everyone is part of associations as well. Like that is just an absolute must for us. So consider that in whichever path that you want to take, because I, I feel like that's the most important factor. Um, yeah. I think just the last thing I would say, I don't know whether it'll help muddy the waters or not, but just as far as that comparison, I was thinking when you were talking about it, there's a, there's a, a lady that I mentor and she came to me as a dietitian who mm-hmm. worked in uh, the weight loss space. lovely love it a bit um but basically she was getting frustrated because with the tools that she had and had been trained with she was helping a lot of people but there was a big amount of people she was not being able to help help and she could Mm -hmm. see that something she was missing something and Mm -hmm. I can't remember how she found me I think it might have been through COVID when we were offering a lot of our online um courses courses. she might have done one of those um so she took on one-on-one mentoring with me and because she wanted to know more about how if this person's not losing weight and I'm I've I've worked with their calories I know their calories are fine um and you know I know they're eating healthy food I've done all the things I've been trained in why are they not losing weight so 
we work together to teach her about the gut, <laughs> hormones, um, the thought, like thyroid, all these sort of foundational mm. things that you and I just like don't even think about. It's just like bam, 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 bam. It's that systemic effect um, that we are also considering. So mm. I just thought that might be helpful as more of a, like a practical approach for how someone um, in the dietetic space is practicing and um, how we practice and then how maybe they can kind of be fused together. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, nutrition, like it is a beast <laughs> of a topic. <laughs> like I don't know how people do short courses and help oh, people. <laughs> can't. Because even when Exactly. Because even when you finish your bachelor degree, you are just constantly learning. Like yeah. new research comes out every week. Like we're constantly learning about the gut. We're constantly learning about all these different facets of health. And mm. um, and yeah, I just think by having that foundational knowledge, it does take time. It really does. Mm. And even when you finish that bachelor degree, you still come out and you're still just constantly learning. And it doesn't matter how long you're in practice, you're still learning. You get different clients and, you know, different conditions or, you know, weight loss is a is a huge one you know there's yeah. so many different facets that can influence weight loss that it's not just calories in calories out it's just it's just not all right yeah. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. just not. <laughs> oh god that always pisses people off too carissa and i did a podcast <laughs> right back at the start for anyone interested on that topic and oh my god the only time in all our years we've ever had serious hate oh, and wow. if you go even through the comments like the um the reviews of the podcast there's one go on there you'll find her whoa she was angry she systematically like went after every one uh -oh. of the practitioners at the clinic through social media and sorry Jess. Like, long story no no I'm like please it's true and it just I just it just so touched her mm. <laughs> actually quite mm. I have to tell you about it off um off the podcast sometime but it's a good one for people to listen to for as sure. far as a concept of calories in calories out how mm. important that is but how again it's nuanced and there's other factors to consider mm. um for sure for sure so we might quickly if yeah let's do it I had one other question <laughs> that um I oh, before we started I told Rochelle about I'm like what am I talking about this before we finish up and this is there's a lot of questions at the moment around protein. I've got a whole load of questions that we'll bring to the podcast, but there's one that has come up more than others. And a client again was asking me about it yesterday. Um, and that is about, and there's so much on social media. Um, I was using the word before with Rochelle of scaremongering, because I feel like we've gone from having, we've got this real great focus on the importance of protein on social media at the moment and women getting more and more savvy about understanding the importance of protein. But now I feel like there's people who are jumping on there and trying to kind of create a bit of like, yeah, a bit of fear or scaremongering around, you're not doing it right. This isn't right. And one of my clients said to me yesterday, you know, Jess, is two eggs not enough for breakfast? I keep seeing these like posts that like two eggs isn't enough for breakfast. So I guess that's the question. It's like, again, you know, is two eggs enough for breakfast? Because my social media is telling me it's not. So the thing is, and it's a big, you know, I sort of like, how do we again do this in a Q and A? If there's a certain amount of protein that we want to be having in a day, and mm -hmm. I'm going to sort of generally say for most 
women, we want to be aiming to get about maybe minimum of 20 grams of protein to ideally more like 25 to 30 grams in in your breakfast particularly, but generally in your main meals plus Mm -hmm. snacks. We'll we'll get into um, the nuances again of like how much protein probably um, in some future podcasts and then we've done some previously you can go and listen to. But let's say for context of this egg question, 20 grams, 25 grams sort of as an average amount we're looking at. Now, the thing with eggs is that they have, depending on the size, about let's say an average of six grams um, in, in them as far as total protein. So two eggs, do the maths, 12. We're not great at maths at JCM, but we can do that one. <laughs> so this is You're not wrong. <laughs> this is where the freak out comes. It's like, oh, my God, it's not enough protein. However, you need to consider with your meal, what else are you having with it? Because most of the time you're not just eating two eggs. And if you've got a whole food diet, and this was saying to my client yesterday, I'm like, okay, what else are you having with it? She mm. she uses a beautiful like um, a pseudo grain type bread, which is about five grams of protein per slice. So if you're having some really good bread um, or maybe you make the gut friendly bread off the website or something like that, which by the way is like close to 10 grams of protein and slice. That stuff is it's solid. That stuff is good. So start to do the maths guys. You can see how that plus then you're adding some other components to your breakfast. It starts to add up and we can start to see we're consuming more. And mm. I think this is where the like um, the sort of, again, the sort of fear comes from is where, we're just just focusing on this one element. It's very mm-hmm. different to someone having two eggs for breakfast, say on their own, which is rare, versus more so two eggs with a piece of white bread, um, just one slice of white bread and two eggs, and that's it. Like, of course, that's not the same as my client with her teff bread <laughs> that she uses and a couple of eggs and her veggies and her other components that she's mm. adding which if you plug that all into good old I don't know my fitness pal or something like that I can <laughs> tell you right now that the protein will not just be based on those two eggs so yeah exactly. does that make sense I just feel like yeah. it's a real it's confusing people um and there's a lot of focus yeah on sort of like on individual nutrients isn't there yeah, yeah i'm yeah. seeing it a lot at the moment it's yeah I, and you know uh, that demonizing of carbohydrates is coming back i'm just like it's <laughs> all in my head um but yeah and this is where the nutrient balance meals and making sure that you know we're consuming that adequate amount of protein and carbohydrates and fats in in the one meal is just so beneficial because, you know, if you look at your diet holistically and you're looking at it over the day, then we are covering those bases if we're eating that more whole foods diet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's very rare for clients to be eating just eggs for breakfast. So they're usually mixing some other things in there as well. And then we're able to bump it up by doing that too. So yeah, protein can be, I find breakfast is probably the hardest. Yeah, it is. Most of yeah. the time, yeah. Yeah. And I know so, it comes from a good place. Like I'm really yeah. stoked to see we've got like women being more conscious now around sure. how much protein they're consuming. And I think it's because more women are weight training now, which is really mm. great. Um, yeah, awesome. But I think it all comes back to, again, and this is why I think protein can be hard because it is more about figuring out what's right for you and um, doing a little mm. bit of maths around that. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, essentially, I think the most important thing here is to, if it's something that you do want to know and you're unsure about, is to see someone, get some guidance, or if you know um, you want to be consuming a sort of rough amount and you do have a pretty good whole food diet and you're seeing these posts and you're like freaking out, use some of these free apps and just use it for a couple of days and just plug your food in and see. And you'll very quickly see whether you are um, severely under eating or hitting these sort of Mm. protein amounts that you want to be eating or you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, And that was essentially the conversation I had with this client yesterday um, when we went through her breakfast and we're like, no, you'll be absolutely getting enough with that breakfast. And she could tell Mm. from her own overall satiety she could tell from her overall energy and how good she's feeling like it was ticking all the boxes for her um whereas you know the the last example I'll give about this is I think it was on the flight up there last week because I left here so early got to the airport for breakfast um and I just they had um like pre-poached eggs say poached Mm. are like oh my god they're like little hard balls and they were (laughs) pretty feral but the only bread was like you know typical airports like gluten-free white bread like tiny little square so Mm. I got two pieces of that but it's like air food there's there's hardly anything in that so I had three eggs with that and I put peanut Mm. butter on the bread which is actually really nice like satay (laughs) satay egg there's no way like yeah, that sort of meal with that little, I'm going to call it, yeah, air bread mm, <laughs> with just mm. two eggs on it and nothing else would have been yeah. enough. Yeah. So that that sort of in comparison to my client's meal is like chalk and cheese. So that sort of stuff is yeah. always we're trying to help you guys understand is like the difference between how you're consuming your protein and what else is on the mm. plate. Yeah. For sure. And and it can sometimes it can be just be a small tweak in like just one small change that makes yeah. a really big impact. And the and like the best way to sort of understand it is through those energy cues and actually like noticing, you know, your satiety and when are you hungry again? Are you hungry again in an hour? Well then that's telling us so much information. We need to make sure that we're really gonna build that meal up to make sure that you're, you know, not needing to eat for the next, you know, three hours, four hours. It depends, you know, what yeah. you're doing. But that can just even just putting it into the app can sometimes make a big difference too because you're actually understanding what you're consuming and going oh okay I am eating that Mm. much protein that's good or I'm wow I really am eating quite a lot of carbohydrates and you know what's that breakdown look like so yeah anyway I could talk about this for hours so (laughs) (laughs) better not get too carried away Rochelle don't get too carried away (laughs) love it so that's that's the end of our questions for today um now, Ro, we usually end the podcast and I totally am going to throw you on the spot here, so I'll try and go first. But over the last few months, we've been ending the podcast with recommendations and it can be anything. Okay. It doesn't have to be anything related to nutrition and, and health. I mean, some mm-hmm. a lot of the time it is, but mm. yeah, it could be absolutely anything that comes to mind. Um, but while you have a think about it, I'm also having <laughs> a think about it. I'm like talking and Thanks, in the back Jess. of my head going, what is it? What is it? So often I have a habit of recommending TV shows because I just spent a lot of time watching some pretty um, cool TV shows of late. I think it's because 
Damien's been working on um, weekends mm. so much and getting a lot of time to myself, which is awesome because I'm like, what am I going to watch that I'm just going to love? Anyway, some people might be like, that's so old, Jess, but we have just found, and I heard, this is kind of like a reco I'm stealing from somewhere else. Um, I heard on Mamma Mia them recommending um, Happy Valley, which oh, is yeah. on binge and the new seat the last season had dropped I was like oh my god like last season if you're a happy valley fan like people are losing their mind I'm like what is this show mm. anyway um we're just about to start the last season have binge watched the first two seasons oh my god it's like a classic mm. gritty British drama um really like a lot of like the the main character I'm just in love with her she's like a 50 year old detective she's so cool and gritty you just want to be her like everyone's a little bit afraid of her <laughs> but she's just so lovely at the same time there's a lot of like it's not for the faint-hearted there's a bit of murder and those sorts of things going on but holy crap it is so so good I can't recommend it enough um it's just and it's just it's really interesting the way that the dynamics of the female roles through it like yeah. it, it's very, particularly the second season, like, um, yeah, the different types of female roles that have been bought in and just the complexities of female behaviour. So I'm going to recommend that. Awesome. I, <laughs> don't watch watch, it? I don't watch a lot of TV, to be don't honest. Don't you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> I, work, I work mornings, I work evenings, so, yeah, I don't have a lot of time to to yeah watch tv unfortunately i just don't um but noted jess i've written that down <laughs> just in case if i do sit down and watch tv that's my first um okay interestingly i was going to share this on my socials so i'll actually share it in this in this space um i i have quite recently and this is um crazy because i work in the health space you'd think i would have done this sooner but i've quite recently changed my health insurance over so my private oh. health insurance now um it has been a game changer for me and it's just super interesting so I used to be with Booper for many many years like 13 mm. 14 years and um yeah the price just keeps on going up and up and up and up and yeah. then when they um removed nutrition mm. when the private health rebates came in and the they you know we they did the naturopathy first and then naturopathy was reviewed and then very soon after Booper actually removed nutrition even though they weren't part of the review. So since then I've been a little upset <laughs> because that happened. Um, but I actually did my research and I found a new, and like there's so many out there now I suppose as well, but I found a new one who actually provide you with points a point system so every time I go to the gym every time I do my designated amount of steps every time I go and get a massage or chiropractic I actually get points and it's a point system that adds up and then you get dollars off your premium so I've only been with them for three months and I've got 250 dollars off my premium that's amazing it's so awesome so like actually being rewarded for doing those health behaviors like going to a nutritionist going and you know seeing a chiropractor when you have a sore back and just going and doing those things that actually add value to your health and I thought that was such an awesome initiative to actually give you money because it's expensive private health is expensive but with all of my gut stuff 
I need hospital cover and I need cover. So yeah, so I definitely highly recommend because it's coming to April where they start to do all the increases. So yeah, highly recommend doing some shop around. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Boop is kind of like the other major player that Mm. if if there was anyone out of the sort of major player insurance companies that we get frustration with with nutrition it's booper like you know where clients are after their private health insurance rebates and you're like who are you with you just wait you kind of like wincing to see if they're going to say booper or not and then when they don't you're like i know and they did it really quickly after the review so yeah um it was really disappointing um but yeah so i highly recommend i get 50 percent back on my extras now whereas previously i got 15 percent so I'm saving money now. Saving yeah, money. That's a good one. <laughs> that shit's all over my happy valley. <laughs> well, I was just thinking I was actually going to share it on my social, so I may as well share it to a wider audience. Um, uh, but, yes, like, you know, obviously if you're a bit – I'm not bagging booper, but I just think it yeah. really pays to shop around. It does yeah, pay to shop around does. because there's some awesome initiatives happening now. And if you can be rewarded for doing those things that add value to your health, heck, yes, that's a yeah. absolutely yes from me. For yeah, sure. so true. Mm. Love it. There we go. All right. Thanks, everyone, for oh, listening. Thanks. And thanks, Ro, for joining. Yeah. You're you like so born to podcast, me. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I've had a lot of fun. And we can talk, can't we? We can. We've well, this. we actually, I told Carissa that Rochelle was going to join this Friday. And I'm like, I don't know whether it's a good idea to have the three of us. And she's straight It's <laughs> like, I don't think it's a good idea either. But that I think at a point we will have to try and see yes. if we can uh, get All the attempts. three of us on together without <laughs> just a shit show of everyone talking over the top of each other and the podcast going Joe Rogan style for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I see that happening. Yes, for sure. <laughs> That's it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. And if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you share it, particularly with these Q&As. I think there's a lot in here for people. So share it on your socials, tag us, um, leave us a re- review would be amazing. Um, if you've been listening right through, you can even go and have a look at our reviews to see that nice meaty one I was talking about. And while you're there, give us five stars. <laughs> that'd be amazing it helps other people find us in the charts but um other than that we will chat to you next time Bye. bye